refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, yes. a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. I'm Serge Antonin. Black and White and Thin Blue Lines is an original podcast co-created by Clark Ollers and me. <clears throat> Welcome to another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. This is part two of the Maryland Police Accountability and Discipline Act. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. We ended part one at Maryland Public Safety Article, Section 3-105, which involves the adoption of the Model Uniform Disciplinary Matrix. Just please remember the disciplinary matrix will become the administrative equivalent of the uniform sentencing guidelines in federal or state courts, the idea being that it will balance the history of the police officer's administrative misconduct versus the seriousness of the case for which the officer has been charged. That takes us to the trial board. Now, before Serge explains what the new trial boards are, our listeners, many of whom are police officers, will be familiar with the old hearing boards before a law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights. Hearing board was typically comprised of three members. One member, usually of the highest rank, would act as the chairperson of the board, and there would always be a second officer, typically of an intermediate rank, such as captain, lieutenant, and then there'd be a third officer of equal rank as the accused. So if the accused is a sergeant, you had a third person was a sergeant, or if it's a trooper first class, the third person was the trooper first class. So, Serge, tell us about the makeup of the new hearing board under the Police Accountability and Discipline Act. It's to be presided over by an active or retired administrative law judge or retired judge of the district court or circuit court appointed by the chief executive of the county or in Baltimore City's case, I guess that would be the mayor because uh, uh, Maryland is made up of 23 counties and one independent city, which is Baltimore City. Um, the A civilian, not a member of the administrative charging committee appointed by the county police accountability board or in Baltimore's case, the city police accountability board, a police officer of equal rank appointed by the chief or commissioner. The burden of proof is still a preponderance of evidence, which is an absurdly low standard when you consider what is at stake in, in most of these cases. Serge, I want to agree. A couple of things I want to point out to the listeners. In my experience, almost all law enforcement officers are prosecuted by the city solicitor's office or the office of law in the county in which the officer is accused. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a, there's a very unfortunate phrase in the law called a Chinese wall. What a Chinese wall is supposed to be is a cone of silence wall, so to speak, between two public lawyers that work for the same public law office, such as <laughs> two assistant county solicitors or two city solicitors. Typically, one prosecutes the case and the other gives legal advice to the hearing board. 
Now, I think it's almost ludicrous because I go to admit evidence and the prosecutor objects and the board says, well, we need to check. We, we have to get a legal opinion on this. And they call the equivalent of the law partner of the prosecutor to ask the law partner of the prosecutor what to do. Absurd. I think it is absurd. <laughs> so for years, I've, I've not believed there really was a so-called Chinese wall. I just didn't believe it. Uh, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not now because it will no longer exist. That role is going to be filled by an attorney, active or retired administrative law judge or retired judge. So I think that's, that's uh, really good. I also totally agree with Serge on the burden of proof. The burden of proof is a preponderance of the evidence, even when the case involves integrity. So what this means is, if you think of burden of proof as we have to prove the case against the accused officer by a more likely than not standard, meaning 50.1% certainty, we're willing to have a 49% margin of error and live with it. And when your integrity is at stake, it's crazy. There's a famous case in Maryland called Everett v. BG&E, where BG&E tried to turn somebody's uh, gas and electric service off on the basis that they were a fraud. And the Court of Special Appeals said, if you're going to accuse somebody of that, you need clear and convincing evidence. So in Maryland, your electricity can't be turned off for fraudulent behavior unless they can prove you were a fraud by clear and convincing evidence. But you can be terminated as a law enforcement officer in the last year before your retirement on the basis of an integrity violation when there's a 49% chance that you are completely innocent of the allegation. I think it's an awful standard. Unbelievable. Now, could you discuss the right to appeal, please? I'm a uh, little uh Sure. Appeals, on it. no matter where you are as a law enforcement agent, state trooper, for example, if you're working for a statewide law enforcement for example, Natural Resources, Maryland State Police, any of those agencies, you will appeal to the Circuit Court for Anne Arundel County, that being the seat of Maryland government. If you are a county police officer or Baltimore City officer or part of a county or a subset, in other words, you work for the Bladensburg Police Department in Prince George's County, you will appeal to the circuit court for the county in which the law enforcement agency is located. Now, unfortunately, the show cause petition, which was a really good tool under the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, in effect, you could seek a pretrial uh, impediment to the prosecution. Uh, you can't do that now under the new statute. There is no, uh, there is no rule that permits a police officer, invites a police officer to file for a show cause order. Now, let's go on to emergency suspension. Oh, Sir, I like this part. This is unreal. At any time pending an investigation, the chief may suspend an officer with or without pay if such suspension is in the best interest of the public. And th this solves the problem for the police chief where a video surfaces of a police officer using a racist word or cursing or acting in any way that the police chief finds offensive or that the public finds offensive, and there's a news article. All the police chief does now is say, you're suspended without pay. I wonder if it, if they even have to put it in writing, or is it like in the movies? You're suspended. They, they do. On what grounds? There's no requirement <laughs> that it be in writing. Okay. The emergency suspension without pay cannot exceed 30 days, 
if the officer is not charged, in other words, if at 29 days they realize, uh, even though the president of the United States said that uh, the police officer was strapping the immigrant from the horseback. If, <laughs> if they find out that didn't happen and the officer is not charged, the officer is entitled to the back pay not received. If the officer is charged with, I mean, sorry, if the officer is suspended with pay, the there is no limit to the days, although ultimately they have to be charged within a year, year and a day under the new rule. Uh, all sorts of things are I guess, part of this new statute. And you should be well aware that the law is allowing without pay to be continued past 30 days if you're charged with a, quote, disqualifying crime, think felony or think uh, disqualifying crime is in the Maryland law, public, uh, public safety code at 5101, it's a crime of violence, a felony, or a misdemeanor that carries a statutory penalty of more than two years. So like a assault. common assault. yeah, like Right, common degree. assault. Second degree assault, you can be, if you're accused of assault, meaning basically the old excessive force, you may be suspended without pay for up to a year until they finally charge you, and then who knows when you get your hearing board. Uh, any misdemeanor committed in the performance of duties, any misdemeanor involving dishonesty, fraud, theft, or misrepresentation, you get back pay only if there's a not guilty, acquittal, dismissal, or null pros. So if you're charged with a crime, in my estimation, you're going to be suspended without pay pending. So, so let's say if you receive a free cup of coffee, technically, you could be suspended without pay. Yes, for, for the crime of either uh, theft, yes. theoretically theft, or what they probably call it, misconduct in office. Which would be a dishonesty type of Correct. offense. Gotcha. And so basically, good luck with this. This is a very, very harsh it, – it, talk about prejudgment. Well, they will case by case it, like I said before, and that's the problem with something like this. Well, they won't case by case it for the – well, let me put it – yes, they will, Serge. They will. What, what if I they explain. like you, a uh, free cup of coffee is not that, that bad. But if right. they I don't like they you. They won't uh, case by case it. Yes, they will case by case it. I agree with you. But they won't today. Yes. What I mean by that is it's going to take two or three years mm -hmm. for sufficient cases to be in the hopper for the public and the police officer to have some idea of when you're going to be suspended without pay uh, pending uh, trial or not. But yeah. – now, Serge, you can be fired for all sorts of things, too. Oh, my goodness. You can be fired for conviction of a felony, which which I think anyone would pretty much agree with. The chief may fire for PBJ for felony or conviction for misdemeanor on duty. Now, like, Serge, one of the things that I uh, mentioned in our, in our pre-podcast pre uh, work that you and I do is Conviction conviction for a misdemeanor on duty, to me, includes a traffic offense that ends in an accident, for example. Yes. If, if you get convicted, if the court doesn't give you PBJ for the, let's say, God forbid, a police officer goes through a red light with lights on but not the siren and hits and kills somebody that had the green and gets charged and convicted, but the judge convicts only of the simple traffic offense of running the red light without the siren on. Uh, guess what? You can be fired for that. 
Absolutely. So go ahead. A, misdegr- a misdemeanor, second degree assault, or something that's perceived as such. Uh, misdemeanor involving dishonesty, fraud, theft, or misrepresentation. Right. So you can be uh, fired now by the chief for all sorts of things. And look, I just want the officers that listen to this to be aware of that. And a lot of that will, I think, go into the advice a competent lawyer is going to give an officer. Serge and I have talked about this, but I said to Serge, there are going to be times, given this statute, that I would probably encourage a police officer when I first meet the officer to either resign or simply refuse to cooperate in the internal investigation if there's some advantage to that, meaning if they can drag out that process long enough to get the person to retirement or something like that. Because ultimately, I think you're going to be fired anyway. And in the meantime, uh, you can be ordered to do all sorts of things. That's the next section. And you might not want to do those things. Surge under the new law of uh, police accountability and discipline, Officers can be ordered to submit to blood tests, breath tests, polygraphs, and interrogation. And they're subject to discipline for refusal. In other words, if you refuse, just like it was under the old Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights, you can be charged with disobeying a direct order. But there's another issue that I just want to bring to everybody's uh, attention The statute, the new statute, uh, calls the proceedings administrative. Historically, administrative law has always been a subset of civil law. Now, in drunk driving cases, anybody who's handled, most officers that are listening to this have handled drunk driving cases. If you give somebody a preliminary breath test, the law is very clear that test may not be used in civil cases, or in criminal cases. However, when you go to an MVA hearing, which is administrative, typically the judges let the preliminary breath test into evidence. So I think this opens the door for creative lawyering here. (laughs) And I think the doors have been opened for admissibility of polygraphs in police boards. You'd have to do a statutory construction and make the case that, look, the, the General Assembly is presumed to know what the law is, and they're presumed to know what the law, how the law has been interpreted. They wrote this to kind of track the preliminary breath test. Preliminary breath tests are admissible in s- administrative hearings all the time, and the Attorney General has backed that, has backed that admissibility. So what I would do, again, trying to be creative here, If I'm representing the officer and the officer tells me, I don't care what anybody says, I didn't do A, B, or C. I didn't assault the person or I didn't steal the coffee or whatever they're being said. I'm going to get them a private polygraph. If the private polygraph that my client takes shows deception, I'm going to throw it in the trash can and say, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, well, right? Prove it. <laughs> On the other hand, if they pass the private polygraph, I'm going to publicly talk about it and it seek to admit the polygraph. 
You see what I'm saying? To yes, protect the officer. So um, there, there's going to be some interesting uh, litigation in the future about that, I'm sure. Now, just recognize something that is unbelievable here. Serge, the <laughs> Three- compelled statement the officer makes. <laughs> look at this, Serge. May be reviewed by the complainant before the completion of the investigation. You have got to love that. Now, Serge, as a lawyer, you've I can love be that. compelled to tell my side of the story. You, the complainant, Serge, if you're complaining about Officer Ollers, you get to review my statement before you complete your statement. Have you, Serge, you were an investigator. You were an investigator going back to your days in in New Jersey. Uh Have you ever heard of an investigation that lets one of the eyewitnesses review the statement of the other eyewitness before the eyewitness gives their statement? I'm dumbfounded. (laughs) Serge, let uh, let me ask this on a really practical matter. Yes. I actually think that it's borderline unethical to let independent for example if i was a homicide investigator and three children and this is an awful case but imagine three children have seen uh, a domestic violence incident between two persons that the children presumably know well and and maybe love let's call them relatives or parents yes and one is deceased and the three children are no longer of tender years let's say they're from ages 14 up maybe even one or two are adults, and they've witnessed this, and I'm charged with the duty of investigating this. And let's just say that there's evidence that could be interpreted as first-degree murder or could be interpreted potentially as Mm self-defense. Serge, wouldn't you, if you're my supervisor, don't you expect me to segregate and separate those witnesses from each other and independently Get their statements. If your your job is to conduct a full and fair investigation, yes. But we know that this bill was not put together for that. <laughs> well, I get your point, sir. You're basically saying that this is evidence that the goal of the bill was, uh, in a in a sense, look at the title: police accountability. To begin to hold the police accountable, which, by the way, presumes misconduct. I think it's more discipline than accountability, but yes. Okay, Police Accountability and Discipline Act, the very title, in a sense, presumes misconduct. Absolutely. And the Law Enforcement Officer's Bill of Rights presumes innocence. Or just Kind of like the Constitution. That's Each my, one have the rights. No, but that's my point. The law to the be treated fairly. The Constitution presumes innocence. Well, it doesn't necessarily. I don't think this the law enforcement officer's bill of rights presumed innocence. I just think it uh, presumed that each law enforcement officer had the right to be treated fairly. No, what I'm okay. What I'm saying is the title implies okay a view that the government is going to presume. In, in other words, that the government is. Not the local law enforcement agency. The General Assembly wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that police were treated fairly yes, by yes. their agents. Absolutely. Okay, what I'm saying is this new law, even by its title, Police Accountability and Discipline Act, is in my judgment a way of the General Assembly presuming misconduct 
and saying it's time we hold the police accountable and discipline them. And one thing people don't get at every level is the presumption of innocence in this country, whether you've been afforded that or not, is the most important right we have as citizens. I couldn't in my agree. opinion. Well, I think there are a lot of important rights in that Constitution. The presumption of innocence really is, as opposed to some other systems of justice around the world, a, pre, a presumption that puts the obligation on the government to prove guilt through a fair trial process as opposed to prove guilt through an accusation that establishes guilt absent a rebuttal. In other words, the burden's on the government to come up with the evidence against the accused. Absolutely. And so that's why I think it's the most important oh, it's, right it's, it's incredibly that an important. American has. It's incredibly important. I'm not negating its importance. I yes. just mean more and more I wonder if there, there are not other rights that are equally important. But the uh, I don't, I don't want to go down that path right now with our listeners. But the bottom line being that we really... Every officer in Maryland has to know that there's leverage in this law that is incredibly powerful, including the leverage of the pocketbook. In effect, if you if you make 90% of your income from your employment as a law enforcement officer and you're accused of misconduct, the government can tilt the entire process in its favor by denying you the income to defend yourself. Absolutely. And and then they'll provide you with bogus union lawyers. And when you say that, that, that's not, I disagree completely, Serge. The government won't provide that for you. Maybe the union no, will No, I mean, that's what I meant. I okay, didn't mean right, the government. Because right, the yeah. government doesn't even want yeah, the unions. You're right, you're right. In fact, one of the things that's, by the way, let me just jump ahead for a moment. One of the most amazing things about this uh, case uh, this new statute, I mean, is that under 3111, your union cannot change the application of the statute by collective bargaining. And the reason I think that's amazing, and I, I am not a registered Democrat in this state, but this state is you largely Democratic. Me. You could have fooled me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this state is largely Democrats. And Democrats are historically associated with the unions. Mm -hmm. And the General Assembly just slapped the unions across the <laughs> any any union member in Maryland who's saying, I vote Democrat because I'm pro-union. Read this law and decide if you're truly voting Democrat because you're pro-union. Because this is an absolute slap in the face to the unions by the Democrats who passed this legislation. It's uh, incredible, meaning that the collective bargaining process now cannot change this statute. It's prohibited by law. Now, so, that's 3-111, right? 3-111. All right, now I'm going to go back to 3-109. says the accused may have a representative. That's right. Who doesn't need to be a lawyer. Correct. But may be a lawyer. Correct. So you could go in there with your grandmother and let her throw herself on the mercy? <laughs> I think so. In other words, I, Unbelievable. Think the I think the statute would permit that. You know who, who's basically responsible for this is historically the Maryland State Police used to let troopers be represented by a senior trooper. Okay, okay. And so uh, they, they have always thought that this was a fair way. And by the way, the unions love this. There are union stewards, shop stewards, 
that really know the law better than half the law. Excuse me, half the lawyers that mm-hmm. defend these cases. Gotcha, gotcha. And so the idea was that there could be a union shop steward or somebody like that who could represent the. So not just a grandmother, but somebody who actually <laughs> actually right. knows somebody what they're knows, talking about. Somebody yeah. has a lot of experience, knows yeah, yeah. the law in this area, and so forth. You're not prohibited from having a lawyer, but it, the person need not be, be an a attorney. lawyer. Gotcha. Now, one of the things that uh, you know I, I've always wondered about is I don't know why. That's not the practice of law. And I thought you had to be licensed to practice law. Now, I'm just, again, when I throw these some of these things out, this is just Clark Eilers putting his lawyer hat on, talking about the kinds of problems that may uh, come up in the future. And this next problem I'm going to describe, I say my prayers at night that this would never be me. But I don't know why a disbarred attorney couldn't become the representative under this statute. Nothing says they can't. Well, well, I, I know, except that, well, what says they can't typically is you can't practice law anymore. But if you're going to say this isn't the practice of law because you don't have to be a lawyer to exactly. do it, then I don't know why a disbarred attorney couldn't represent these officers. I want to throw this out on a for-what-it's-worth basis to the union representatives who might be listening. There are a number of uh, attorneys throughout the state of Maryland and throughout the United States who've been disbarred for a breach of one thing or another. Sometimes it was addiction. In other words, it was things that really didn't um, really didn't go to the heart of their integrity, mm-hmm. but just interfere with their ability to practice law. And if those people are now living sober lifestyles, they might be the person you want to put on the payroll to, to really work these cases because they, they will certainly have the legal training and expertise, and uh, they might... They might come a lot cheaper than a lawyer with a license. Yes, yes, so, yes. You know, a little creative thinking on my part there to try to help my uh, fellow attorneys and <laughs> former attorneys and also uh, unions that are defending these police officers. Now, Surge. Yes. 3110 protects police officers who inform on other police officers. Now, in a way, I think that's actually kind of interesting because what it does, almost every police department has a rule. What's that rule, Serge? That if you see something wrong... Say something. Correct. Now, Serge, you were a police officer for many years. And let's say hypothetically, because I'm not going to hang you or hang... I'm not throwing you under the bus, don't you <laughs> me under the bus. Hypothetically? Hypothetically, <laughs> yes, Serge, yes. did you ever see a police officer do something that was outside of the rules and regulations of the agency? Just hypothetically. I've seen some lines blurred, yes. Okay. Well, I can also say, hypothetically, that there were times that, let's say I was writing a book, and the character in the book was a you know a young man who joined the Howard County Police Department. Again, talking about a character in a book. Did he have red hair? He had red hair and glasses <laughs> in the book. You know, grew up to be an exceptionally handsome older man, but we'll just leave you know, that. That's just my fiction. That's how you know I'm talking fiction. Okay. <laughs> So let's say this person uh, saw something and said, geez, I didn't know you were allowed to put your gun in the trunk and challenge the bully to a fight and then beat him up. I didn't even know you were allowed to do that. And let's say you weren't allowed to do that. Well, there was a rule in the books in the Howard County Police Department that said any police officer witnessing misconducts required to report it. And almost every agency has that. And by the way, 
Almost every business has that. Almost every federal agency has that. And I know what that really is. That That is to protect the guy at the top when they're sued for something that happened in the agency that they truly didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And they will say, here's my defense. Well, I didn't know about it, and whoever knew about it was required to tell me. So, therefore, you know, I'm not liable. Okay. Now, Serge, let's talk about reality. Did police go ratting on one another, typically? Not typically, no. No. In fact, look, look, I really strongly remember the days when you would have been ostracized by the other officers if you ran to the you know, supervisor to rat on your fellow officer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I can also say it extended. Now, those days are over, but it extended to telling the public how to complain about a fellow officer. Does that ring true with you, Serge? Uh, It rings true. And and then it's funny. You'll have some officers who will embellish and even lie if they think it will curry favor with the higher ups. And now this will just encourage it even more. Or Serge, to go one step further or to protect against a complaint of cowardice. Absolutely. In other words, the reason I didn't join into the uh, the fray that Mr. Ollers was, or officer Ollers was in the middle of route one is because he had no right at all to be using the force. He was, I was shocked by it. (laughs) And appalled. Yeah. I was shocked (laughs) and appalled. And the fact that two guys were pummeling him and I thought I was going to get pummeled too if I joined. That had nothing to do with it, you know. Serge, we we've all seen officers like that. Yes, we have. So that brings us to three one twelve. Serge, tell our listeners about three dash one twelve. Every record in this process may not be expunged or destroyed. So every cop who is found not to have committed the claimed misconduct, no matter what the claim, be it kiddie porn, rape, domestic violence, use of drugs, etc., the record cannot be expunged or destroyed. Now, Serge, let me compare this to the kinds of cases I typically do, criminal cases. Mm-hmm. If my client is accused of, of uh, assault, and like a couple of weeks ago, I had a day-long trial. At the end of the day, the judge thinks about it, goes back to chambers, reviews the evidence, comes back and announces, my client is not guilty. Mm-hmm. Okay, good day in court. When I come back uh, to the office, say, 6 o'clock that night, there's a message from my secretary asking what happened. I call her and she said, I assumed you got a not guilty because it's no longer on Maryland Judiciary case search. Meaning, wow. yeah, meaning that fast is taken off now, and I can expunge the record. Meaning, this man will not go through his life with people being able to say, "Oh, look at this, look at this." He whips people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in other words, he's tainted with the accusation. Yes, can't have it. However, if you're a police officer, this is going to be a public record, no matter what you're accused of, no matter how absurd it is. If if a mental patient, <laughs> I'm being serious, Serge, because Serge, mm-hmm. at least in Howard County, we we were, and, and I know you did in Baltimore City. You rode a car by yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the exceptions to that rule in Howard County was if you were transporting a female mental patient to an out of county mental health facility, 
they would put two officers, and it was to protect either officer against the claim of rape. Yes. By the and I, I've driven women in these situations that were making hypersexualized statements the whole way. They're mentally ill and addicted to drugs. And, and you're a handsome man. <laughs> well, I, I've never felt that surge, but <laughs> but what I but what I did notice was I'm glad I have a witness. Yes. In other words, I wasn't saying a thing. I'm literally just driving the car, not even talking to the person. And this person in the back seat's having this running dialogue, like she and I are longtime lovers waiting to for the next opportunity to be alone. <laughs> and, you know, thank God there's another officer there so that if this person made a complaint. Now, look, some of that in this day and age is going to be, there's going to be body cameras, cameras in the car mm-hmm. and things like that. But, Serge, the, the point is, if that person made a complaint that the officers sexually violated her, her you know, there was a civil rights claim by her that you sexually attacked her on the way to the mental hospital. And it did not happen. In other words, everybody agrees. Here's the video camera in the car. Here's the, here's the other officer that's a witness. Never happened. The complaint stays on your record permanently and is available to the public permanently. Yes. I think this is obscene, sir. It, it, it truly is. It, it, and, and like I say, it doesn't make anyone safer. It makes the public less safe. And you have these ACAB people, all cops are bad, and I get it, but at the end of the day, if you think you can live in your home safely, whether you own a gun or not, whether you have an alarm or not, and have the police absolutely hamstrung by a document like this and feel safe, your wife, your kids, good luck. Well, I think it's a a very bad statute yes. in this regard. And just to bring something in the news that, you know, these officers who are who are factually innocent will have this record permanently on available. It's a, you know, it's it's there forever. They have fewer rights than Hunter Biden. <laughs> I mean, come on. I love is, that. <laughs> this is crazy to me. It's insane. Now the inv- Hunter's like, hey man, back off the laptop. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Why you guys got to bring me into this? So three one thirteen, the investigating unit shall immediately review complaints. Administrative charging committee has thirty days, or may ask for further review. And I think they really mean further investigation. Review by IAD through administrative charging shall be completed within a year and a day. And again, the Maryland Police Training and Standards Commission shall adopt regulations. They were told this 18 months ago, well, 16 months ago, they still haven't adopted the regulations. In typical fashion. Now, here's some open issues. Yes. I think the time, date, and place for the interrogation is an open issue. I say that because in the old days, you had originally you had 10 days to get a lawyer, then you had five days uh, there's none of that in this new statute, meaning I think they can say uh, we're going to interrogate. Tonight. Yes. 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 So, by the way, again, I'm thinking creatively. I think every officer out there ought to have a physician, a psychiatrist or a physician in Maryland that they have a 24-7, 365 phone number for that will, in an emergency, 
uh, recommend that they are under such stress that they are medically infirm and cannot give a statement. I say just practice faking medical emergencies. <laughs> That's what I do in case of a robbery. I, I have my whole family. We practice okay, that. Okay. Well, Serge, let me just say this, and I'm, and I'm being very candid about this. Years ago, I represented a homicide detective in Baltimore City, and he referenced a study of uh, police shootings. Mm -hmm. And he said there's actually a sweet spot for interviewing a police officer involved shooting suspect, meaning the, the police officer is the suspect and the police involved shooting. Yes. And it's more than a day, but less than, say, five days. They need the officer to calm down from the fear and anxiety so that their memory works. And you know what? It's funny that you say that, but the public doesn't even believe that's a thing. And and a doc and something like this proves that. I agree with you completely, Serge. Oh, he wasn't in fear. No, oh, he... I agree completely. So, Serge, I'm just going to tell you, one of the things that years ago I was in, uh, representing an officer in an officer-involved shooting, and he was taken to the hospital for a medical emergency related to post-incident trauma. And at the hospital, I said to the doctor, isn't there something you can give him? And the doctor says, what do you mean? I said, to calm him down. Can you give him a shot of some sort? So the doctor goes, I guess I can. Young man, do you want a shot? He goes, sure. Doctor gives him a shot. In walks IED. We've got some oh, no, A no, shot no, of no. what? Like whiskey or something? He's under the influence of <laughs> narcotics. He can't give a statement now. And let me tell you, Serge, I'm going to have to revisit the old playbook. Because, <laughs> the X's and O's, my man. Well, I'm just saying. I can't believe you're going to take an officer involved in a shooting and interrogate him. It's insane. Yes. And lawyers better step up and be ready to fight this. Now, uh, again, I believe that officers need to know this statute, print this statute, have it available to them, and there's something else that I think they better dust off. You were saying dust off the old X's and O's. Yes. Serge, you've known me uh, for five years or more, and what is one of my favorite doctrines uh, when it comes to develop uh, to representing police officers and police uh, law enforcement bill of rights cases. Is it the Accardi doctrine? It is, Serge. <laughs> how, how wonderful of you to remember that. The Accardi doctrine, A-C-C-A-R-D-I. Now, there are an awful lot of lawyers probably don't know what I'm talking about. I guarantee you there's most police officers don't know what I'm talking about. I bet you there's some judges who don't know what you're talking probably about. Probably are. And, but I will tell you. not going to say they reside in Annapolis. Well, but. no, no. I, I will tell you, the ones in Annapolis know about it. But there could be judges in other states that have never heard of it because not every state even honors it. But there's a Supreme Court case, Cardi versus Shaughnessy, and basically it stands for the following proposition of law, that a an agency of the government need not have rules and regulations on any issue. But if they do... They must fairly abide by those rules and regulations and treat each other fairly under those rules and regulations. So here's the point of a cardi. You've got to know your agency's policies and you've got to be prepared as a lawyer to use them effectively. For example, the first officer involved shooting after July 1st, 2022 in every jurisdiction, I think the union needs to say they didn't interview Sergeant so-and-so or Captain so-and-so who pulled the trigger for 20 days. I think you need to say, under principles of a cardi, the TFC or trooper or police officer that doesn't have three stripes or, or a, uh, a two captain's bars, Yes, that person also needs to have 
the same period of time. I think you need that. I think you need to uh, be, be become really familiar with it and ready to push that. And again, the final wrap-up point here I want to make for the officers listening, the word progressive is found in the statute. Progressive discipline is going to have to become the, uh, has to become, I guess, the baby of police officers. They ought to nurture its growth into adulthood by talking about everything ought to be progressive discipline. What that means as a practical matter is you need to be fighting some of the petty stuff so it's not counted as a first strike. Mm -hmm. In other words, frankly, Serge, I grew up in the day and age, and you probably did too, that if you screwed up and you had a in fact, I can remember, I mean, knock on wood, but I had one collision in my 14 years in the Howard County Police Department. And undoubtedly, I was the at-fault driver. And they brought me in and gave me a counseling form, and I signed it. And I would probably do the same thing today. However, you'd, I'd have to be mindful of the fact that if I was the police officer today involved in that same situation, that by accepting that counseling form, that's a strike one, so to speak, mm -hmm. in the disciplinary matrix. So you really, and it wasn't in the old days. Counseling forms disappeared after yeah, so many yeah, yeah. years and so forth. Point is, officers need to be uh, really concerned. I'm going to make a pitch for our podcast. And Serge and I are going to be contacting each county's representative FOP or statewide FOPs and so forth. We're going to do it by email or by mail or by a telephone call. And we've really got fewer listeners to part one of this than we generally get for our podcast. Now, that may mean that some of In our- In less time. <laughs> yes. Some of our non-police uh, officer listeners may not find the topic all that interesting. So be it. But every officer ought to be familiarizing yourself with this statute. We've tried to make the presentation a little bit entertaining and enjoyable- it's, it's not fun reading. If you want to find it again, it's on our website at www.blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All words are spelled as English words with no uh, space be between them. And you can find the statute there. You can find it in the Annotated Code of Maryland, Public Safety Code Annotated 3-101 and what follows. Serge, any words of wisdom for these officers as they uh, enter into a brave new world of the Police Accountability and, and Discipline Act? Uh, pray, I would say. Pray, <laughs> like, pray a lot. That's right. I like and that. for the c citizenry, I'd say pray, pray a lot. Because one thing that bothers me is that the criminal element is not changing for the better. They're not seeing this and they're not saying, oh, well, you know what? We're going to be treated more fairly when we carry illegal guns or sell drugs to kids. So maybe we should uh, be a little nicer to each other and to the police. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be the case. So I feel like the civilians should do their due diligence and think twice before you haphazardly place uh, possibly a, a good law enforcement officer's career in, in peril. Serge, I actually think those are truly uh, the, the best words that have been spoken in the two, the two part podcast. And I said them. And you said them. <laughs> I, I'm honoring that. Yeah. yeah and I'm acknowledging just, that. I got you. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our presentation on the Maryland Police Accountability and Discipline Act. Uh, please feel free to comment. You can reach us through our website. Our uh, And, of course, we, we are interested in continuing the dialogue. If there's any officer charged under the new Accountability and Discipline Act and he or she has a hearing board, I'd love to hear about it because I'd love to attend and see the process in action. Thank you all very much. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.